something special about Father's Day, right? We want to thank dads and we want to honor dads. And, and one of the reasons I think that is, is because fathers serve as the foundation of the family. Dads, your role is vital. It is important. And, and I can't say that enough. And, and we say that throughout the year because we want to support dads. We want to pray for dads, encourage dads, and, and say that you can make a difference in your home. Father's Day is always fun. I was cleaning out um, my nightstand yesterday and some papers that were on it. And I, I found a paper written in crayon inside that says, I love you, babe. And it was not Susie's writing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Um, and it was Alicia's writing. And, and you know, little girls, yeah. Um, and, and then I realized it didn't say babe. <laughs> she sometimes gets her B's and D's mixed up. And so she was trying to say, I love you, Dad. <laughs> but, yeah. And then I got to thinking, well, actually, why did I even think that she would write that? And it's because that's what Susie calls me around the house. And the weird thing about kids, they pick up what we do as parents, don't they? They, they copy. We know this. The first time they say or do something that we're like, where did you learn? Oh. <laughs> and they're little mirrors that mirror back what's going on in our lives. For Father's Day, I want to continue a series we started on Mother's Day that sort of goes into that. And how do we reflect Christ to our kids? How do we make sure they're copying what we want them to copy and we're passing on the heritage and the tradition of our faith? See, they are catching things. They are copying us. The question is, do we want to be intentional about what they're copying or leave it up to accident? And so on Mother's Day, and Mother's Day and Father's Day aren't necessarily your traditional Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons. I'm choosing to focus on family and how as families we can love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in our homes. Coming up in July, I'll I'll finish up this sort of three-part series by talking about how to love others and train our kids to love others in the home. Love your neighbor as yourself. But today I want to zero in on one particular aspect of how we can, as, as moms and dads, how we as parents can pass on our faith to our kids, how we can instill a love for God. Now there's all kinds of different ways that we can do that, but today I want to talk about what I think is the best tool for that and the most effective tool. I have a bag of tools up here and I'll be using them from time to time and everyone sort of runs when I have illustrations, but that's okay. You know, so we we have different tools. This tool is probably not what I hammer a piece of furniture together with, right? This tool would be used to cut things with because that's what it's designed for. And I could go on and on. And this tool, which I haven't even had opportunity to use yet. uh, Maybe I'll have a volunteer today and you can, you know, it's to cut little pieces of wood at the, um, in narrow places at the bottom. And there's, there's all kinds of tools in here. There's a flashlight and I probably wouldn't use the flashlight to screw in a screw. Doesn't work. And so as parents, my goal today and with this series is what kinds of tools actually work in the home? What kinds of tools are effective? And when it comes to making sure my kids know I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, making sure they know what it means to be a disciple, I am convinced that family worship is one of those things. Family worship is one of the best tools that we can use for this. And today, and some of you already right there, when I said family worship, you're like, I tried that, been there, done that, I'm done. Didn't work for my home. I challenge you to rethink it with me today. My title today is Family Worship, You Can Do This. 
I was talking to the elders this morning, so many times when I think of family worship and what do family devotions look like, we can think of Mount Everest, right? We can never get there in this huge task. But today, I sort of want to bring Mount Everest down to a freeway overpass and say, we can do that. I can walk over a freeway overpass. I'm probably not getting to the top of Everest. But with the right tools and the right mindset, this is something every dad, every mom in here can do. And so I, I, I want to take this on today because I think it's so, uh, so important in the lives of our homes. On Mother's Day, we, we started and we talked through Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I want to start just by reading that passage again. It's so foundational. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As we went through that passage on Mother's Day, we talked about that a God-loving home starts with parents passionately devoted to God. Passion breeds passion. And so we, as dads and moms, need to have a wholehearted devotion to God. And then we went on in that passage and talked about how at every opportunity, daily, and everything we do, teach our family to love God. Talk about God all the time. It's our responsibility as parents. Donald Donald Whitney said, Moreover, it is unlikely that exposure to church once or twice a week will impress your children enough with the greatness and glory of God that they will want to pursue Him once they leave your home. This isn't enough. And we talked about that on Mother's Day. It's got to be in the home. And we looked through habits, eight habits of homes and ways that they pass on. And one of those habits we talked about was family worship and devotions. And I promised on Father's Day we'd come back to that. And so here we are on Father's Day talking about family worship, something that is very doable. And we want to give you the resources, dads especially, but dads and moms, to just knock this out of the park and do a great job with this because it may be the most significant thing you do for your kids. Jumping into family worship, and and I want to start by giving some overview and three different types of worship, then a biblical overview, and then we're going to get real practical. So that's where we're going today. When we think of worship, there's three different spheres or or three different types of worship. The first is personal worship, right? I'm to be spending time with God. We know this. I'm to be reading my Bible. I'm to be in prayer. And this is that time, and, and we, maybe you call it quiet time, maybe you call it your personal devotions, but we see examples and instructions of this all through Scripture. Jesus often went away alone to pray, to spend time with God the Father. He'd do that for, for hours at a time and go climb mountains to do that. We saw Jesus talk about prayer life and, and, and different things, not to be... Um, drawing attention to ourselves with our prayer life. And, and he wasn't teaching against corporate prayer because we have all kinds of examples of that, of that. But he was saying, in your personal quiet time, make sure you're going into your room and spending some time alone with God. We saw Daniel, right? He was said, don't pray. And what does he do? He prays, same as he did every day. He didn't care the consequences. That's all personal worship. Second sphere is corporate worship. And just running through these quickly corporate worship. This is coming to church. This is coming together with the assembling of the saints. 
We saw this modeled in the Old Testament with the tabernacle, and they'd come to the tabernacle to worship, and, and then the temple in, in God's Word to worship. In the New Testament, we have metaphors like body and family that are referenced to the church that were to come together and worship. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And God says, don't miss corporate worship. Don't neglect it. Be here. There's something about worshiping together. There's something about hearing God's word proclaimed. And so we have personal worship and corporate worship. Now, so many times that's where we stop in our homes. And we're hoping our kids get the the whole love for God thing through church or through friends or through school. But I would propose today that there's a third leg to this, and that's family worship. Family worship. And that's time set aside by members of a household for the purpose of worshiping God together. Time set aside by members of a household for the purpose of worshiping God together. We'll talk about what that might look like. But, but this could be dad and mom with 2.3 kids. And you hope that point three is listening. I, I don't know. But, but this could be just your traditional family. And, and, you know, the pets are coming up with the family and you're getting together. This might be, if you don't have any kids, this might be a couple worship, couple devotions. Or maybe your kids have moved out and you're moving on to the grandkid phase, which I hear is just incredible. Don't neglect family worship with your wife, with your spouse. Some of you here today I know are single parents. And, and, and talks like this can be like, well, especially for single moms, there's no dad in the picture. So, so really, should I just leave now or should I stay and listen? Because we as a church want to support you, single moms. Or if your husband isn't a believer. And we, want to say, we know that it's a, a huge task to take on both the role of mom and dad. So we want to equip you. It's interesting, Timothy. Do you remember who the spiritual influences in Timothy's life were? His mom and grandma. And we don't know anything about his dad, but, but it looks like his dad wasn't a believer. Mom stepped in, grandma stepped in, and they taught him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Grandparents, this is for you. Not only should you be doing family worship together, but how powerful is it if when your grandkids come over, you get to your time for family worship and you include them in. And they're like, wow, mom and dad do this. I thought it was just them. I thought they were just weird. And, and all of a sudden, my, grandma and grandpa's doing it. What would happen if, you know, my kids go over to your house for dinner and, and, and spend the night and you stop after dinner and you do family worship? They're like, wow, other people are doing this. And so there's a sense that this applies to everybody. For those of you that aren't married, the singles that are here, and I know we have a lot, start now practicing family worship, practicing your own time with God. But maybe it's once or twice a week grabbing a friend and saying, hey, can we study together? Can we read God's word together? Can we sing? Can we pray together? You know, a, gr- a great place for singles to put this into practice are community groups. Community groups are really little families, uh, a chance to come together and worship God. See, part of our desire here at Village is to build Christ-centered homes. It's part of our vision statement. And so part of building Christ-centered homes is equipping you and, and, and challenging each other to say, are we going to do this? Are we going to train our kids to walk with God? One author described those three different spheres of worship as a three-legged stool. 
and I, I, we only have four-legged stools, but a, a three-legged stool, and, and one of the legs is personal worship, and one of the legs is corporate worship, and the third leg is, is family worship. Now, on a three-legged stool, what happens if you knock out one of the legs? Falls over, right? And, and the thing about these three different spheres of worship is they all work together. And if you knock any of them out, we are hindering our ability to pass on our faith to our kids. And so, you know, for families to say, well, you know, corporate worship isn't that important. I'm going to skip church this year. But I'll, I'll, I'll get God on Easter and Christmas and we'll be good. And, and that's taking one of the legs out and that's, that's showing our kids that time with God and time with God's family isn't that important. We could knock out personal worship. And we talked about that on Mother's Day, that if we aren't sold out for God, your kids won't get it. In fact, they'll, they'll come away with, with thinking you're a hypocrite and come away usually with a bitterness toward God. That leg has to be there. But the third leg of family worship also has to be there. Moms, dads, your responsibility is the biblical training of your kids. I've said it before and I will say it again. That's your responsibility. Grab hold of that and embrace it and see what God does. I wanted to, to take a moment and just look through sort of a biblical overview. And this isn't all the places where family worship's mentioned. But um, as I was studying and, and all these verses kept coming in, I'm like, this is this was really impactful to me to see it in practice from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And so we, we start with Abraham in Genesis 18. You don't have to turn to all these passages. One in particular I'll have you turn to. But Genesis 18, verses 17 through 19, and dealing with Abraham here, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. For I have chosen him, in verse 19, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Part of God's instruction to Abraham was, I am commanding you to teach this to your children, to pass this on, that it is passed on from generation to generation. A few chapters later, Genesis 22, and the story of Abraham taking Isaac up, and uh, God has told him to sacrifice Isaac, and he's taking his son, the promised son, to be sacrificed. And and we catch that picture. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Partway up, Isaac turns to Abraham and says, My father, here I am, son. He said, Behold the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What does that question imply? What did Isaac know? He knew what offering should be like. He knew there was supposed to be a lamb. They've done this before. This is part of their family practice. And, and so they're walking along and he's looking and said, Dad, you, you, you missed something. You left something out. And so it's evidence that this was part of their practice. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Turning over a few pages to Genesis 35, story of Jacob In Genesis 35, 2 and 3, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. 
Then let us arise and go to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And Jacob here, after some failures, is saying, we need to put away the foreign gods. He goes to his family, says, this is the way we're going to go spiritually. Put away the foreign gods. Put away those things that are distracting you from worship. And we're going to go worship God, Yahweh. Moses in Deuteronomy 6, the passage we started with, gives instructions of training kids day and night. Do you see a pattern here? It's over and over. Joshua, at the end of Joshua, if you remember studying it, he's talking to the heads of all the families. And in Joshua 24, 15, he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't just say, As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. He takes responsibility for his household. It's awesome. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he's challenging other heads of families to do the same thing. In Job, as you progress through the Old Testament, Job 1.5, and it's talking about before the, the um, trials came on him, it says, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he's talking about his children here. And so he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. He'd consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He took responsibility for his kids. I, I will make sure that they are not living in sin. Amazing stories. We get to the psalmist, and this is the psalm of Asaph. And this one I want you to turn to, Psalm 78. Such a rich passage. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 78, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a hardcover black one under one of the seats right around you. I invite you to take that, look it up, so you can see that what we're saying is right out of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that home as our gift to you. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Just enjoy this. Chew on this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And he's referring to the, the rich tradition, the stories that have been passed down, the, the, the deeply spiritual truths. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. doesn't say, which He said, you know, if you feel like it, teach to your children. Or if, if you have the time, or if it comes up, if they ask the question says, commanded the fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Oh, what a rich command here for dads and parents to take this and run with it. I can remember talking to one dad, and this dad had chosen to not teach his kids anything about the Bible and, and anything about Jesus. And he said, you know, I just don't think I want to impose my will on them. 
I want them to grow up and look for themselves and decide what to believe. That's bunk. That's like putting a bunch of food in front of my kids and mixing in some poison and saying, I want them to decide what they like. I would never do that to my children. And and this is, is just completely irresponsibly letting go of God's command. God says, teach our children. We teach them truth. See, that's coming from a worldview that says, oh, all religions are just sort of a way of dealing with the supernatural. They're all okay. And it denies that there is absolute truth, that we are sinners, that we have defied our Creator, our God, and that we need His sacrifice on the cross because we can't save ourselves. That's the truth we pass on. Verse 7, still talking about training children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And there's three points right there. It's not the three points of our sermon today, but set their hope in God, that they trust God. Teach them to not forget the works of God, to acknowledge His hand. That, that, that comes with humility of gratitude and acknowledging His work and to keep His commands, obedience. And if we can teach our kids to trust God, acknowledge His hand and to obey Him, that's a good thing. Verse 8. And that they should not be like their fathers. And this is the other side if this doesn't happen. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And we see that in Israel's history when fathers forgot what God had done. When they stopped teaching it to their children, the next generation fell away. Dads, we want to equip you to fulfill this. It sounds like Everest still. It's not. This is doable. I love it. My, my kids, they, they're getting older now. They don't, I don't have as many cute things they call me, but they used to call me Pastor Daddy. And yeah, they, that's because I'm a pastor, but I think of that title for every one of you dads here. You're pastoring your home and your dad. And I honor that and respect that. And continuing with a biblical overview, Proverbs, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should, should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Paul, jumping to the New Testament in Ephesians 5.25 and 26, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And Paul's talking about the husband-wife relationship there and comparing it to Jesus and the church. And as Jesus feeds and nourishes the church and helps the church grow spiritually, husbands, that's our job with our wives. Family worship is a great way to do that, to pray together, to study together. Paul goes on in the next chapter, just a few verses later, Ephesians 6, 4, to say, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And so today, for the second half, I just want to talk about some tools. What this could look like. How this is is so doable. There's a commercial. I don't know if you've seen the Ace commercial. I I love commercials sometimes. They say so much. But this one is, is tools. And so I always pause. Watch. 
And at the end of this, this thing about tools, they have the tagline, Folk, folks that know giving craftsmen on Father's Day is the dad version of flowers on Mother's Day. That's right. Tools equal flowers. But tools, we, we understand because why? Tools help us accomplish something. They help us build something. And so today I want to give some tools. How can we do this? And when we think of family worship, I'm speaking of a, a family devotion time where we all get together and, and, and it, it can include other people in the household as well. And we spend maybe 10, 15 minutes and, and we focus on three things. And I'll give you those three, three things right up front. I don't remember if I have blanks in your, your notes or whether I left them in there to make sure you get them. Read, sing, and pray. Read, sing, and pray. Anyone can do these things. Those three things make an awesome family worship time. The first is read. This is the first tool. Make sure you actually read God's word. And I just want to have some fun this morning like I, like I sometimes do. And I have some tools here. And this particular tool is one that I, I bought recently. I convinced my wife it was needed for ministry. We used it up in the garage. It's great. And so this one is just a, a little um, nail gun. So if I was putting this up there, a, a, a screw gun probably doesn't help much unless I have screws. Or, right? But I can take this and I can do that and it holds it up. Simple. I could do that because I had the right tool. Now, some of you are saying, he just ruined the wall. <laughs> isn't, it aw- is, is, isn't it awesome? <laughs> um, but this, it, this is easy to do. I had the right tools, the right things to do. And that's going to be the foundation of sort of what we're doing here. Reading God's word is foundational to family worship time. And actually reading God's word. Mom's, dad's, veggie tales is not enough. Let's just get that out of the way right now. I like VeggieTales. They're a lot of fun. They're not family worship. Open the Bible. Read God's Word together. Now you might say, wow, I don't know how. I don't know if I understand every passage. That's okay. Neither do I. I'm, I'm still studying and reading. But it's powerful to open God's Word and just read it. For those of you with older kids or or just a spouse, husband and wife, maybe you want to start by reading a chapter a day. You can do that. Chapter takes about three to five minutes to read. For those of you with younger kids, I would encourage smaller portions. Take a section. One One of the books I'm reading through with my kids is Mark. And so instead of a whole chapter of Mark, and some of the chapters are pretty long, we may take just a story at a time and connect those together. And we'll sit and we'll read through that. As your kids get older, you can include them and have them read. But don't feel like you have to go too fast. Don't feel like you have to go through the Bible in a year with your young children. If you and your spouse want to do that, great. But, but think about what is a, a bite-sized chunk that they can hear and get something out of. And, and be realistic. You know, with, with my kids and so, some of it, depending on what we're reading, I'm like, oh, man, I want them to get three points so they can teach this someday. No, what am I? Th- that's Everest. But understanding I can do this, afterwards we'll read and I'll say, what is one thing you heard today? What is one thing you caught? Sometimes they don't have anything. That's okay, mom and dad. They're hearing. And we are not a a hearing culture. And so I'll read, read. I'll, I'll, I'll give some ideas. But just one thing. Sometimes 
we think it has to be a 45-minute sermon, and that's Everest. At home, read God's Word. Just take some time. You know, sometimes I'll pick one verse. If they're struggling with something, just pick one verse. But this is, this is doable because this is the primary tool. How many of you have a Bible? It's a lot of hands. And if you don't, by the way, there's a black one that I mentioned. <laughs> so no excuses. Everyone walks out of here today with a Bible, the most important tool you need for family worship. And you might say, well, my, my three-year-old doesn't get it. Number one, read it anyway, because that's part of them learning how to get it. Number two, it's scary because our kids get more than we think they do. And, and, and they'll come back weeks later and say, well, you said this. or, or Like, what? They're, they're, they're listening. They're little sponges soaking it up. Read God's Word together. Some tools. And this is an area where I have a lot of tools, a lot of ideas. One of the tools is today, those of you with kids, how many of you have kids that are in our kids' ministry here, our, our Route 66 kids' ministry? Okay, a bunch of hands. They're all over there. How many of you have grandkids in, in Route 66? Okay, so a few more hands there. I thought your hand was up, Jimmy, but it is. No. <laughs> One of the things your kids are getting today is a home front um, page. And they get this every Sunday, all the way from preschool up until sixth grade. They get this every day. And one of the things that you can do is if you're wondering what to do for family worship, grab this sheet tonight or tomorrow or sometime. And it tells you the story they're going to learn next week. You get to tell it to them first. And, and it gives you a passage. So like this was Matthew 21, 1 through 17. Now, my kids are a little bit older, so we read the whole passage all in one, one evening and talked about it. It's the, the triumphal entry followed by overturning the tables in the temple. They really liked the overturning in the temples part. Mark was getting all into that, and I guess he did that in school in first grade, and I don't know. Um, and we went with it, and we talked about it. We had a great discussion. It wasn't long. It was maybe five, ten minutes. But we read that passage together. If you're wondering what to do the next night, these pages always have a secondary passage there. You could do that one the second night. So right there, boom, two nights in a week that we give you. If you're wondering, well, how do I know what questions to ask if they get something? It's on the page. <laughs> Doable. You can do this. You don't have to spend two, 20 hours, two hours, whatever, in your study coming up with what to teach for family worship. I want you to have this every week. If you have younger kids and you're like, man, I wish I could have one of those, talk to, talk to Pastor Andrew. He'll give you one great chance to to follow along another thing that we used we used for our younger kids and like i said i just want to give some practical ideas i don't have it up here with me but um the read with me bible in irv i I love that one it has great pictures but it also stays as close to the text as you can for little kids and for little kids makes it very understandable and we would just go through one of those a night and there that takes about one minute to read through one of those and I'm not trying to cheapen it by saying it, 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 it shouldn't take very long. But for a one-year-old, it, it's different from what my 11-year-old can handle. And, and so that breaks it up into bites that they can handle. One of the other tools that we're using right now, and this one I wanted to show you guys, and I'm going to run out of time today, aren't I? This is called Theology. I don't know if you know, but if you put them together, it says Theology. No. <laughs> ah, 
But theology, and I think you're using this too, Pastor Andrew is, this is a book that these two kids are exploring and they go into a basement and they find an ancient book of truth. And the rest of the book is just a systematic theology. It's awesome, but they listen to it. <laughs> and, and we just take one of these a night. Now, now again, I said if you're going to read God's Word, you need to read God's Word. So some of these don't have any Scripture in it. Those are supplements. Always make sure you read God's Word. But like, so this one, 43, it says Jesus paid it all. And it's going to go into the doctrine of the atonement, the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave. They always, what we do then is we read this verse here. And then they have a whole bunch of verses here that we read. And we read all of those. And, and what I'm doing by doing that is teaching my kids even how to look up verses in the Bible. And so we spend maybe three minutes, three to five minutes reading those. And then I'll read um, what it has to say. When you borrow money to buy something, you owe what we call a debt. Debts can be small, like if you borrow $5 from your brother to buy a treat, or large, like when your parents borrow money from the bank to buy a house. Making a mistake can mean you also mean owing a debt. Imagine riding a wagon down a steep hill and then crashing through a neighbor's fence. Guess who has to pay for the fence? That's right, you do. If the price to replace the fence is $300, you are instantly $300 in debt. Much like destroying the picket fence, when Adam disobeyed God, he ruined the perfect sinless life God gave him. But he didn't owe God just some money to fix a fence. He owed God a perfect life. That debt was impossible for him to pay. Jesus loved God and people perfectly. He didn't ruin his life or owe God a debt. Therefore, Jesus could pay Adam's and our debt to God with his perfect life. And it goes on to explain how that happens with some more verses on the next page. You're getting scripture in there. What I like about this, about the stage where my kids are at, is they're starting to think through some of these things. And so they're getting it. It's it's theology at a level for this one for elementary school. Um, I encourage you to to consider something like that. You know, there's there's others. Um, On our information booth, we have something called the Daily Bread. And this is a daily devotion. Again, moms and dads, you're wondering what to do. This will tell you. And there's something for each day. And on each day, it has a passage to read and then a devotional thought about it. This is what my parents used growing up. Every day, we did this. We were in the Word every day. Hearing someone apply the Word every day. Those are just free at the information booth. Take the resources. Use them. It's tools to do what God wants us to do. You know, one of the things that... um, might be helpful is going back to the attributes series we did or the names of God series. Grab the reading service list and start going through an attribute a day. Read the verses. And you're teaching your kids to love God. Make sure you read. Read God's Word. Be creative with this. Matt Chandler had a bunch of ideas for being creative that I'm like, wow, those are awesome. One of them is, is, what if you built a, a fort in your living room? Dads? Yeah. So you build a fort, you get inside the fort, and you read verses like this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. You can do that with stars. You can do that with mountains. Be creative. Second thing, second tool is to sing. So he said, read sing and pray and singing has a way of showing our heart for god our worship of god and so that's just another element 
that begins to, to help us understand who God is. And, and it helps our kids express their love for God. So they read, they can learn, and then singing has a way of expressing. Psalm 118.15, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. I love that. In their homes. They lived in tents at the time. In their homes, glad songs of salvation are there. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You know, you can do this a number of ways. And again, now some of you are like, I, I was fine with the reading thing, the singing thing. Eh, not so much. Get, get family members involved. Get your wife involved, dads. Um, sometimes I'll ask the kids for favorite songs. And if we have enough time, they'll each pick one. And once we get past like Rudolph and some of the, the other songs, we're like, no, no, these are worship songs. And, but that's okay. Those are great discussions. And we'll sing those songs together. Some tools for that. Grab a hymnal. Grab a hymnal and sing some of those hymns. There's nothing like singing holy, holy, holy with your kids and watching them start to get it. One of the things we do is we often sing songs that we sang on Sunday at church. And so again, we're going to give you as many tools as we can. If you took the six songs we sang today, there's six, six days that you could sing those songs again with your family. And you've heard them. They've heard them. You're reinforcing what they're learning. Now, now for us, I use my iPod, my iPhone. And so I pull up the song, and you, you can pull up almost any song we do on YouTube. There's, there's versions of it. But I pull it up, and we play it, and we sing along. And it takes all the stress off for your voice and instruments and anything like that. It's awesome. And so last night, uh, we knew some of the songs we were doing today. So last night, we did Made New as part of our family worship. And so today, when we did Made New, Alicia looks up to me and smiles. Isn't that cool? It's, you can do this. Most of you have smartphones. Most of you. <laughs> Play some music. Sing. Show them what it means to worship. The third thing is to pray. And I'm going to use a couple different tools here. And again, some of you are going to wonder when this will be cleaned up. That's okay. So I'm just going to do this. Maybe. (laughs) Our pastor can use a saw. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, that didn't work. Okay, nobody touched that. (laughs) Sometimes tools take a little bit of practice. That'll be one of our hints. Be flexible. You never know with family what's going to happen. The last tool is to pray. Make sure you pray with your kids. You know, one of the things that I I use for that is I use our, our village Facebook page. And I'll bring prayer requests to the family. And um, it's a chance to show them how to be dependent on God. Maybe keep a list of prayer requests. So one of the tools, I don't know if you you have these, but paper and a pen. (laughs) See, it's doable. You have this stuff. And you can take paper and a pen and keep track of prayer requests. Maybe you pray as a parent. Maybe you have your kids pray. 
And yes, sometimes they'll pray for the parakeet or they'll pray for the cat. That's okay. You're teaching them how to pray. Run with it. But read, sing, and pray. Spurgeon wrote this, and he was quoting Matthew Henry. So we get a a couple of, of guys in there. And he says, I agree with Matthew Henry when he says, They that pray in the family do well. They that prayed and pray and read the scriptures do better, but they that pray and read and sing do best of all. You can do this, Dad. You can do this, Mom. Can you open your Bible and read for five minutes to your kids? Can you turn on your phone and sing along to a song? If you, if you have no voice, mouth the words. Can you pray with your kids? Ten minutes can change your kids' lives if you do it regularly. There's some optional things there that we can talk about sometime, but I want to jump to some helpful hints and just run through these quickly, and then we'll end with with a song together. First one is keep it brief. Ten minutes is my target. Um, If you have younger kids, maybe a little smaller. If they're really into it, you can go longer. It's not that you have to keep it short, but one author said, let family worship be short, savory, simple, tender, and heavenly. Keep it brief. Wiggles happen with kids. Crazy things happen. I can turn around, and and I'm usually in the middle, and the kids are all around, and maybe one of them's upside down on the couch. I don't know. you, You just never know with kids. But just keep it brief, but do it. Second, try to have a regular time um, as often as possible. Make it a priority. Plan for it. Be realistic. It's the third one. Make sure your expectations are doable. If you come out of today and say, we're going to meet for an hour every night, seven days a week. No. It's not going to happen. Life happens. Maybe, maybe start with two times this week. And say, Pastor Ron, I'm going to try that two times this week. Start with that. Get into a pattern of that. See where God takes it. But you have to, you have to be realistic. Start small. Again, just with a single passage, a single song, pray together. Start today. And what I mean by that is some of you have tried this and feel like you've failed. God just wants to welcome you today, tomorrow, to do it again. Just start today. Forget what's happened before. If you miss a night, fine. You know, we don't do this every night. Like, like on Awana nights, we're getting home and it's already past all of their bedtime. And if they have any hope of worshiping God the next day, they need to go to bed. And so we, we get home, we pray with them, send them to bed. That's it. But you, you've got to be realistic and be flexible. There's other nights that none of us are home until really late. And and so we just pray and go to bed. Don't beat yourself up if you don't do this seven days a week. Because you're making a goal that's, that's basically eight days a week. Something that's impossible. Be flexible. Could be any time of the day. For us, it's right before bedtime. For my home growing up, it was right after dinner. It might be in the morning for you. Mornings don't work for my family. For me. <laughs> Be flexible, but do it. Couple, involve everyone. Um, I'll have them lead different portions. I'll have them read different portions. If you have teenagers, let them take an evening. 
That's what we do at Wildwood. I used to do at Wildwood. I said, okay, you're doing devotions tonight. It's on you. You're teaching. You're training. Two other things. Don't use this as an opportunity to discipline one member of the family. It's not the time to come together for family devotions and you know little Johnny is struggling with something and say, okay, we're going to do all verses that apply to little Johnny tonight. Do that in private. That's one-on-one training. This is a time to be in awe of God as a family. Those of you that are homeschooling, don't use family devotions as your, your Bible time, as your Bible curriculum. Keep it separate. Keep it a time that is completely other of honoring God. Finally, don't worry that you're not seminary trained. What I hear often is I feel inadequate. And I want to proclaim it today over and over. You can do this. You are not inadequate. You can read God's word. The fact that you try to read God's word and you do it regularly speaks volumes. Can we do this? Yeah, we can. I challenge us. As worship team comes up, come on up. I still want to end with that song. We'll um, end here. I want to challenge you to do a family worship project with me, a family worship challenge. And I challenge you to this week say, I, as mom or dad, dads take the lead, but dad, you may not be able to do this, or, or moms, dad may not be in the picture. Take the lead and say two times this week, we'll try family worship. Maybe it's from the, the home front page from the kids. Maybe it's just opening up. Gospel of Mark is a great place to start with kids. Runs through life of Christ in, in, at breakneck speed. Twice this week. Can you do it? And then next week, I'd love to hear how it went. It's doable. If it's just a couple, do it as a couple. But let's take this on and do this together. This week, three elements of family worship. What are they? Read, sing, pray. You can do that. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for families here. Lord, I pray we'd be raising our young men and women to serve you, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love their neighbor as themselves. And Lord, I pray for dads standing here right now, especially dads that are going to be trying this this week. I pray you'd give them the courage to try it. Lord, I pray that you would give them the ability to get past any past failures, to get past any fears, and say, kids, let's open up God's Word. Let's just read this together. Let's sing a song. Let's pray. Because God is great, and we love Him. Lord, I pray for the dads here that have never seen this before, that, that just don't even know what to do. And I pray that this just starts to give some ideas. I pray that they would ask some other dads and say, hey, what are you doing? But give them the strength to do this, Lord. Help us to be intentional about raising our kids to follow you instead of hoping it happens. Lord, I'm excited about the next generation in this church when we do that. I'm excited to hear stories next week of dads and moms that say, yeah, we did that this week. And this is what happened. Lord, give strength for the task. Help us to know we can do it because your Holy Spirit is the one giving that strength. In Jesus' name, amen.